We can turn to Jesus when facing temptations. He understands and can help. Here's Pastor Ed Ray to touch on that. He is able to aid those who are tempted. Because he himself had gone through that, he's able to sympathize with the struggle you had this morning, the one you had yesterday, the one you had the day before. The temptations that you and I deal with, he's dealt with. So when we call on the name of the Lord, we will be saved. You need to call on, I need to call on the name of the Lord in the middle of the temptation. Just cry out to him, Jesus. You can't say anything else. You can say that name. There's power in that name. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son. Selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I say let this world know me by your love. The only way to get rid of temptation is to yield to it said Oscar Wilde, who also said, when tempted between two evils, I always pick the one I've never tried before. Well, all kidding aside, dealing with temptation is a serious issue, and thankfully there's one who understands and can help us. That, of course, is Jesus, our great high priest. But there's so much more he's accomplished on our behalf, and we'll learn about it today on Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. We're in Hebrews chapter 2, and we begin with the suffering that our Lord endured to be our high priest. From verse 10, here's Pastor Ed. For it was fitting for him. It was only right that God, who made everything and for whom everything was made, should bring his children to glory, to eternity, to heaven. That's God's invitation. Hey, how would you like to go to eternity with me? It'll be fun. <laughs> You have no idea how much fun it will be. It has not entered into your mind. It has not ever been conceived. No man has seen it, no man has heard, nor has it entered into the mind of men what God has prepared for those who love him. Doesn't that just whet your interest a little bit? Wow, I thought Disneyland was cool. Nothing. It's a city dump compared to heaven. Jesus is... The author, it says here, the perfect leader. It means this completeness, but he is the source. He's the initiator. He's the pioneer, the captain, another translation says, the architect. He's the inventor, the designer, the trailblazer of salvation. He has preceded us through death, the valley of death and on, into eternity, so that we might be encouraged that he's gone through and we can go through too because of him. He's the captain, he's the leader, he's the designer of your and my, their salvation. Perfect, complete through sufferings. Okay, so perfect here means fully mature or a completeness. Before time began, Jesus was already perfect. However, in his human nature, it was something that had to be completed through obedience. He chose knowingly to suffer so that he could understand and can say to us, oh, I do understand. I've been there. Now, it says he was obedient, including suffering, in order that he might be an understanding high priest. That's an important concept we'll come to again in just a moment, and we'll take it apart. And for God to be able to relate to us, one of two things had to have happened. Actually, both did happen. 
either we would have to become like gods or he would have to become like us, humans. And of course, he chose to be human so that then we could be more like him because he would take up residence in us, Christ in me, the hope of glory, that God's power would begin to change me from the inside out. And we would watch around us, be confronted with that nature is mortal. It will die. The things around us will one day all be gone. And that's not something to be sad about. This is the way Lewis said it in his essay, The Weight of Glory. C.S. Lewis said, nature is mortal. We shall outlive her when all the suns and nebulae have passed away. What? When the cosmos has ceased to exist, when every star has passed away, each one of you will still be alive. There's a thought for you today. Nature is only the image of the symbol, but it is the symbol Scripture invites me to use. We are summoned to pass in through nature beyond her and into that splendor which she fitfully predicts and reflects. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilization, these are all mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. <laughs> but it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors you choose. For whom are all things? He is the author, the leader. Salvation complete through his suffering maturity. Okay, that's the first part. Here's the second part. Children, four, both. He who sanctifies, set aside, and those who are being sanctified, set aside, are all one, all of one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Now, this is where your brain starts getting into overload, and I see that little glaze coming over your eyes. Pastor, I don't understand. I'm not sure I do either, but I know this is really big stuff. It says Jesus and the ones that he has set aside for use by God. That's what sanctified means, to be set aside, to be used by God. God wants to use your life, not use it up, but in fact amplify it to become everything it's supposed to be. Have the same Father. You and I have the same Father. He said, how should, when asked how we should pray, he said, our Father who art in heaven. You have a dad that's in heaven, and he cares deeply about you. Sanctification means set apart for service. Now, this word is sometimes, some of your translations probably says the word holy. That's not the right translation. The word holy today, at least in our modern use, means some sort of a pious, pharisaical person. We get the complete wrong impression. This is a person who does everything perfect, and God wants me to be holy, to be perfect. No, no, no. He's perfect. We're not. He said, you'll be holy as I am holy because I died for you, because I've given you the righteousness of Christ. You don't have any on your own. So articles of the temple were called sanctified. Does that mean they made good moral choices? No. It means they were set aside for use of God. They were for God's use. Now, put that on yourself. 
You're set aside for God's use. It happened the day you surrender to him. And if you haven't, don't leave this morning before you do. It happened the day you set your life to him and he set you aside. But it also goes on every day that we wake up, roll out of bed, throw our legs over the side, hopefully say a prayer quickly. Grace, 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 God, to me and to everybody around me who has to put up with me this day. And then we walk into this. Okay. So, sanctified, set aside every day. You and I are being so. He's not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. Not only are you children of God, you're a brother of God. You're a sister of God. I have two brothers and two sisters, Irish Catholic family, and my siblings were for torturing when I was younger, and I did my best to be really good at it. But then something happened in high school since I was the older. When my little brother came in, my mom took me aside and said, you have to be his big brother. I am his big brother. That's why I torture him. No, no, you have to actually stand up for him. What? But he's embarrassing. Don't ever say that again. Your brother is not embarrassing. He's just young. Let me tell you what you did when you were his age. No, no, mom, I don't want to remember. (laughs) Okay, so stand up for him. Be a big brother. And for some reason, that fit came on me. And I became a big brother for my siblings. So you and I have a big brother. That's what Jesus is. And he's going to pit himself against Satan. We'll see in just a minute. You have a big brother to keep away the bully in your life and in mine. Verse 12, saying, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters, brethren, in the midst of the congregation. I'm not ashamed of you, God says. I'll call you by name in heaven, in eternity. And even now, I will praise you among... This is from Psalm 22, verse 22. It's a prophetic psalm speaking of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection a thousand years before it happened, 600 years before anyone had even thought of crucifying a person. Very clear picture of it. But Jesus taught that those who do the will of his Father, obedience, are his brothers and sisters. And you and I have become that as soon as we surrender to him. Verse 13... And again, I will put my trust in him. This is from Isaiah 8, 17 and 18. I will put my trust in him, God. And again, here I am and the children whom God has given me. So he's saying that Jesus makes himself the brother of sisters and brothers. And he is also, in fact, the giver of life. He makes himself the brother, all children of God. Verse 14, inasmuch then... Because God's children are human beings, inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, verse 13, he himself likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, which is the devil, Satan. Okay, since then, here's an explanation. Because he is our brother, Jesus took on flesh and blood. You and I are flesh and blood. The point is he did the same. Took it on, this limited mortality, so that he could suffer and die and destroy Satan's power on the cross, that he was able to overcome Satan's power by dying. Satan thought he had him. At last, I have him. No, Jesus said, it's finished, it's done now. Now you're done. Well, you mean Satan's done? You weren't with me this week, Pastor. I got beat up a lot. Yeah, and part of that is us just recognizing that Jesus has done this. That's why this is being laid out here. He has released us, those who have 
fear of death, were all their lifetimes subject to bondage. Only in this way could he deliver those who have lived all their lives in slaves to the fear of dying. Ultimately, that is the issue. What will we do about death? Death is an age-old dilemma. But there's an answer to that question. More on that in just a moment. Thank you for joining us today on Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. He's teaching us from Hebrews chapter 2. We continue now with Pastor Ed offering this true story. Interesting story. Timothy Leary, some of you know the name, Harvard professor who was part of the 60s, his experimentation with psychedelic drugs, LSD, and mushrooms and all sorts of alkaloids from weeds and wondered why he got cancer. He got cancer in January 1995. He was going to turn his death into a celebration of sorts. The World Wide Web was finally up and running and he wanted to die on the World Wide Web so that everybody could watch him, that death was nothing to be feared, it was natural. But the longer it went and the closer he got to death, the more fearful he became. His best friend, Ram Das, another professor, said, looking for long periods into his eyes and seeing no one looking back, seeing how far back he was behind, beyond his little theater piece of dying. He was afraid. When Larry didn't commit suicide, he eventually died privately. Carol Rosen, who was his lifelong partner, said, when he breathed his last, he shook with fear, sobbed with regrets and loneliness, and became nasty and hateful, but did not call on God to forgive his sins. How simple it would be, but it requires surrender of self to say, God, I need you. Please forgive me. That's all you have to say. The thief on the cross said, remember me. And Jesus said, today you're with me in paradise. Just show a little humility. Humble yourself before the creator of the universe. You're going to be humbled before him. You could do it now or you can do it later. Whew. Serious stuff. High priest, verse 16. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Okay, so Jesus didn't come to become an angel. He became a human being. And the seed of Abraham are the children of Abraham. Now, he's not talking genetically. He's not talking about Hebrews racially. He's talking about the children of Abraham are those who believe God the way Abraham did. How did Abraham do it? It says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him, reckoned to him as righteousness, rightness, right standing before God. Five times it says that in the New Testament, that Abraham was the first to just believe God, that God was going to take care of the atonement, the propitiation, the covering of his sin. Abraham's children, you and I, we were given promises. He does not give aid to fallen angels. Some believe this means that fallen angels are beyond salvation. Verse 17, therefore, in all things he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of people. Therefore, it was necessary for Jesus to be in every respect, like you and I, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest. Okay, so remember, temple's still there. If you were a Jew, you saw the high priest as the bridge. Literally, the word means the bridge between God, a holy God, and sinful men. So 
The high priest, once a year, on Yom Kippur, Yom means day, Kippur means covering or atonement or propitiation. One day a year, he would go into the holy place before the Holy of Holies, and they would bring him two goats. Really? Goats? Yes, two goats. One of them he would mark to be sent away. He'd put his hands on the head of the goat, and he'd send the sins of Israel on the back of the goat all the way up the eastern gate, and then through the Kidron Valley up past the Mount of Olives and over the top into the wilderness, taking the sins, figuratively, of Israel with him. The other goat he would take and sacrifice and collect the blood, and then he'd walk in once a year. The only time he'd go in, he had to go in barefoot with just a plain white robe on that says, I'm nobody. But he's representing the Israel. And he would walk up to the Kofar, Yom Kippur, the Ark of the Covenant. So thankful to Hollywood for Raiders of the Lost Ark. At least we know what we're talking about here. And he'd walk up to the Ark, and he'd take the blood on his finger and put it on the four corners of the top of the Ark called the Kofar, or the Mercy Seat. And that would be between God and unholy people, unsanctified people, unset-aside people. That was the human high priest. Now, Jesus is the ultimate once-and-for-all high priest. That's what he's saying. He came and pertained to God. He did everything necessary. He made propitiation. He made <laughs> this act of atonement. He paid for sins. It literally means to satisfy. He satisfied all the requirements of the law. The correct result of sin is that I should die. God said, I'll do better than that. I'll die for you and everybody else that has ever lived or ever will live. He did all that so that we might have full forgiveness. Our sins thrown as far as the east is the west were released from it. Verse 18, for in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Because he himself had gone through that, he's able to sympathize with the struggle you had this morning, the one you had yesterday, the one you had the day before. The temptations that you and I deal with, he's dealt with. So when we call on the name of the Lord, we will be saved. You need to call on, I need to call on the name of the Lord in the middle of the temptation. Just cry out to him, Jesus. You can't say anything else. You can say that name. There's power in that name. If you have more time, you can pray more eloquent prayers. Grace is a good one. I need grace, Lord. Give me more grace. You said you gave me grace. I need more today. I'm in the middle of something I can't handle. Give me grace, grace, grace. Okay, let's go back and look at verse 9. That he, by the grace of God, by the gift of God, might taste death for every person. Life is messy. Have you noticed? More than 7 billion people struggling through life every day. Just a thought can make one person seem petty, trivial, irrelevant, of no great concern, inconsequential. We can have the feelings of very insignificant until we look at Jesus. That's what this is saying. And, but look, we see Jesus, and he died for you, which makes you the most valuable commodity on the planet. God has an answer for you. You are made in his image. You are like your heavenly father. Slightly lower than angels, but just slightly. Significant because you are the object of his affections. He loves you. The ultimate intention of God for us that we would have significance in our life. 
We started with Psalm 8. It says space is huge, but size or lack of size does not suggest significance. We are small, tiny, but you have unique human qualities, personality, freedom, mortality, turn to immortality, reason, creativity, responsibility, our capacity for good, for relationship, for spirituality, our power of choice. What an amazing gift. And being made in God's image, we also need and have the capacity to laugh at ourselves. What? I believe that that's second to a relationship with Jesus, but you better be able to laugh at your own personality quirks, what you're unable to do. Chesterton said it this way, angels can fly because they take themselves lightly. <laughs> we all need to do the same. Okay, we'll close with this. It's a story that's told many times in probably about 50 different versions, but I read a version that put a twist on it for me I hadn't seen before. So it's a Native American, an Indian's walking through the prairie, and he sees a, a prairie hen's nest that's got some eggs in it. He walks a little further, and unbeknownst to him, he sees another egg that is actually an eagle egg, but he thinks it's a prairie chicken egg, so he takes the egg and puts it over in the nest and goes on, never thinks about it again. But the prairie chicken comes back, wow, that's a big egg, and aren't I good? And she sat on it, and eventually it hatched. Well, the eaglet came out and thought he was a prairie chicken, because that's all he knew. And he's scratching around with his brothers and sisters, eating bugs, excited about the food, the seeds, and the things, and it never crosses his mind he's anything but a prairie chicken. Then one day, he happens to glance up, and he sees an eagle. Doesn't know what it is, but it's soaring. Doesn't even look like it's moving its wings, and it seems to be climbing higher on a thermal. And his brother, the prairie chicken brother, comes up and says, forget it. He says, what do you mean? He says, that's an eagle. You're a prairie chicken. You cannot do anything that that bird can do. Just enjoy lunch. And the eaglet, sadly, believed him and never flew any higher than a foot over the ground. And it was in a cacophony of feathers and dust when he hit the ground. And he never ate anything he was designed for. And he never felt the wind in his wings. I had an old guy talking to me yesterday, and he, he was saying that how he was becoming health conscious, and he was, you know, vegetarian, being very careful everything that he ate, and cutting back on his carbs, and he's drinking double distilled water, and it, it, he's doing really good. I didn't want to break his heart, so I didn't say it. <laughs> but I listened, and I thought, some people want to get to heaven. I've said this before. Some people want to get to heaven with their body looking as pristine as it was at 19, right? And so you're taking really good care of it, and you don't do anything that's dangerous, and you never risk anything. I, however, I want to come into heaven sideways with the tires smoking, the brakes hot, oil spread all over the engine department, and slide up and say, wow, what a ride. You're listening to Pastor Ed Ray on Grow in Grace. And we're going and growing through the book of Hebrews, one verse at a time. You can listen to this program again on our website at thepackinghouse.org. We can also send you a CD copy. For this and other Christ-centered resources, 
go online to thepackinghouse.org or call 844-77-GRACE. That's toll-free, 844-77-GRACE. At Grow in Grace, we're committed to delivering God's Word from Genesis to Revelation so that nothing is left out. We're grateful to the Lord when we hear of men and women that are growing in grace as a result of listening. And if that's happening in your life, would you please let us know? As this study of Hebrews continues, we want to hear from you. Email us today at packinghouseradio at aol.com. That's packinghouseradio at aol.com. And we'd also very much appreciate your financial support. Lives are being impacted, people are growing in grace, and your gifts help to make this possible. When you give today, you're invited to request a copy of Elizabeth Elliot's book, Through Gates of Splendor. In January of 1956, five missionaries gave their lives in the jungles of Ecuador and made the headlines around the world. You'll be encouraged and blessed as you read this compelling and inspirational true story. Allow it to spark a passion in your life to get the gospel of Jesus out to those who are without Christ. It's yours for a gift of any amount, so call us right now at 844-77-GRACE. This program is listener-supported and brought to you by the Packinghouse Christian Fellowship in Redlands. Side hall now filled with hands And in this place gotta dwell with man Sick be healed and the crippled stand Singing hallelujah My kingdom built with the blood of my son Selfless sacrifice for everyone Faith, hope, love and harmony I said let this world know me by your 